The Zone Coverage Podcast Network. This podcast is presented in front of a live Astadio audience. Hey, hey, it's Midwest Swing, part of the Zone Coverage Podcast Network. You can find Midwest Swing on Twitter at Midwest Swing Pod. And Zone Coverage at Zone Coverage MN. I'm your host, Brandon Warren. You can find me on Twitter at Brandon underscore Warren. And we've got Justin Bailey in the, the studio here producing at I am Justin Bailey on Twitter. And then still on the road, we've got Tom Schreier, co-founder of Zone Coverage at T Schreier 3 on Twitter. What's going on today, man? I, I don't know what this is. I've done uh, I've done the last one going to Kansas City. I think uh, you caught me somewhere around Des Moines. Right now, I am... I'm leaving the Indianapolis uh, city limits. I was over at a friend's house in Cincinnati. And uh, and then with the, the soccer show, I was pulling into, into Cincinnati. So, I, you know, I, I promise people I have exited my car in the last week. It's just it seems like every time I'm doing a podcast, uh, I'm on the road in my car, which is very – I promise it's not windy in here, but it does sound like I'm, like, skydiving or something. Yeah, it sounds like you have your window open. So, how many miles have you traveled so far? Yeah, so we were we were discussing that last time. I think the last time I looked back, I'm going to pull it up right now. Yeah, it's about 1,700. That's obviously including uh, some driving I did over by my friend's place and getting back and forth to, to the ballpark. But uh, yeah, a lot of miles on my my car here. Yeah, so we we uh, we estimated I think over 2,000, or at least I did. So. You're going to be well above that by the time you get home. What day are you going to get here? Yeah, so I'm uh, I'm coming back Sunday. I got to see if I can cover the game. Obviously, got some responsibilities on Monday. Uh, either way, I'm you know I'll be out there doing some reporting. Have a couple more stories uh, coming out from Chicago. Um, I did uh, I did see that 18 inning game. It's unbelievable that this uh, this team seems to be knocking out two games at once when they play uh every once in a while but uh but yeah so i've been you know i've been watching the team on the road but you were the one uh in target field this week yeah luckily i wasn't at the 18 inning game but yeah it's uh excuse me between that and the 17 inning game about 10 days ago that's that's a whole lot of baseball it sounds like the twins are going to cycle out at least one arm it sounds like lewis thorpe might be coming up to make his big league debut at some point but yeah, I'm glad that I'm not in charge of figuring out all these bullpen options here. Uh, would you say you're feeling about the same way? Yeah, I mean, I guess the the upside I see uh, is that, I mean, aside from Gibson, I don't know if there's a ton of upside in making him pitch in relief, given that obviously he's a starter. But for guys, you know, I know Ryan Harper, uh, you know, ended up with a loss there, but the Tyler Duffy's, Kind of these guys that weren't used in high leverage situations. Zach Lattell obviously converted starter. Um, I think it's not a terrible thing for them to kind of be forced into that situation, knowing, uh, you know, I'm sure it was devastating to lose that game against Tampa. So, I mean, these are, are relatively high stakes. And, you know, knowing that the whole time the Twins are winning, there's this idea of like, 
well, are we going to see a meltdown, you know, if one guy struggles and then the next does, and then you have a situation like you had, you know, against Anaheim earlier in the season or, or worse, like against the Mets. Mm-hmm. Um, and then obviously the thought of, you know, we're talking playoffs, right? And um, are you going to see a meltdown in the playoffs if there's a short start or something like that? You can't just go to kind of your most trusted reliever. So I guess that's the only upside I see. Other than that, I mean, it's, it's got to be stressful for the front office figuring out, you know, who's going up and down. It's got to be uh, wearing on the players. I think we saw that with Mitch Garver um, specifically. But, you know, the whole bunch, I mean, it's just we're starting to see those injuries crop up, and it probably does not help that you have a 17-inning game and an 18-inning game against two quality AL East opponents, uh, you know, mixed in with just the everyday nature of baseball. I think it's kind of crazy that the Twins used 10 pitchers, and even though they got seven innings from their starter, still used more than Tampa Bay did when they had Ryan Stanek as an opener throwing two innings. So, yeah, it was a total different, totally different way of managing bullpens between Rocco Baldelli, who didn't have anybody throw more than two innings, and Kevin Cash, who got three innings from Ryan Yarbrough, three innings from Adam Kolarik, and two innings from uh, Oliver Drake, former twin Oliver Drake. Yeah, you definitely saw a contrast of styles from two guys who both come from the Tampa Bay coaching tree. Yeah, totally. And, I, you know, the, the one I'm most curious about, and uh, I don't know if you have an answer on this, do we know why he went to Gibson? I mean, was it simply like, you know, you are trying to win the game, even though this may affect a, a player's start? Was it an issue with uh, rest with Harper? I mean, what was the, uh, you know, the you know the reason why he went to Gibson for, I think it was like 11 pitches in the 17th or something. I can't remember what it yeah, was. Yeah, that was but, one of those. You know, well, yeah. It seems to me that they were just – going to use him as his like side you know his uh his bullpen outing or whatever like that you throw in between starts and that's why he only threw one inning yeah. but I don't know what the plan was if you only throw him one inning and then Ryan Harper comes in if the game goes to a 19th inning I don't know what the plan is at that point and you know maybe then you go to your Saturday starter but or anybody who hasn't thrown a bullpen yet but yeah it doesn't make a lot of sense to me to only go to Gibson for one inning but at the same time, I guess if he throws two or three innings, then you have to find someone else to start on Sunday, and you're already going to be bringing up a bunch of arms, you know, for today's game in Chicago. I don't know. It's going to be interesting to see who's in that clubhouse when you get there today because they're going to have to cycle out somebody. I mean, Latell probably gets sent out. Beyond that, though, I mean, I don't really know what else they can do. Ryan Harper could be sent out, but he's pitched as well as anybody in the bullpen. Matt McGill doesn't have options. Mike Morin doesn't have options. And then it's mostly, you know, guys like Tyler Duffy who've pitched really well or guys like Blake Parker who are veterans. So I'm not totally sure what the plan's going to be, but um, I, I still think Gibson's probably online to start on Sunday against Lucas Giolito. Yeah, I mean, I, to be honest with you, the, I'm curious about Thor, but, and the reason why I bring him, his name up is, you know, we obviously are spending a lot of time talking about prospects, and it's not the same reason that we have in the past. Right. In the past, it was all generated around hope, and I, I think there, you know, there still is uh, a lot of excitement at Kirloff, uh, Lewis, you know, uh, uh, Gratterall. One of those guys would would bring to the team, even though it's pretty fully formed. Um, but now you're not hinging on can Byron Buxton save the Twins, right? I mean, we've talked about a lot about this. It's who do you avoid trading because you think you can kind of fix, if you want to call it, fix the bullpen issue or create some bullpen depth mm-hmm. internally? Because really, 
getting two relievers, and I think there's a, a chance that happens, does deplete the depth. And it's not only just you're losing prospects, which matters less and less, the more you have a young and up-and-coming team like the like the Twins, but it's also just does this kind of ruin a winning culture that you're seeing in the minor leagues? You know, there, there's something to be said about kind of stacking up the farm system, especially in a mid-sized market where you, you may lose – in fact, there's a good chance Cruz, Scope, Crone, you know, a lot of these guys uh, aren't around, you know, in the in the immediate future and, uh, you know, past this year. Um, so it's always better if a guy like a Latel transforms himself into an effective reliever. Therefore, you don't have to go trade for a guy kind of, you know, of his caliber, if you will. Mm-hmm. And so... That's why Thorpe to me is interesting. I, I've kind of we've bandied about about kind of the prospects on this show, and we've said this before. Could one of these guys be an internal solution? And, and to be honest, I don't know if we'll see it right away. I think Tyler Duffy's not a one-to-one comparison, but we said this when you released your your uh, story on him, and, and I, I think it was tunneling. You were like, well, that was the worst time to release it. He just got shelved. Yeah. But now, you know, people are probably looking back at that story going, you know, what's Tyler Duffy doing between that and I think, uh, you know, we wrote about a slider. What's he doing to be this effective? And, uh, you know, we may see this with some of the other guys, some struggles early, but uh, potentially they go back to him a couple of times, seeing if, hey, you know, could this guy be a solution for depth in the full time? Yeah, I think Ryan Harper's a good example of that guys kind of coming out of nowhere prospect depth or, you know, he's, I mean, he's 30. He's not exactly what you would call a quote unquote prospect, but finding those guys internally and with lots of years of control and relatively cheaply, like Taylor Rogers has become for them is a huge, huge win because trading um, at market value for even decent relievers sometimes can be cost prohibitive. And then when, you know, we talk about the guy that, that Justin brought up Will Smith. I mean, you're going to pay a premium for a, a guy like that who's going to be a free agent at the end of the year, and you probably don't have a good chance of retaining outside of letting him hit free agency and giving him a competitive offer. So anytime that you can have guys emerge from within, that's huge. And two, I think that's a good point. About, you know, when you talk about Lewis Thorpe is, could he be that guy out of the bullpen? Could Cole Stewart be that kind of guy? What are they going to get out of Fernando Romero? That's a lot of guys that they have to cycle through in the next five weeks or so before the trade deadline. And it's, it's going to be interesting to see how they do that because all the questions that we're getting, whether it's on Twitter for this show or when I do a mailbag is what are they going to do about the bullpen? What are they going to do about the bullpen? And you better believe that I'm sure that's keeping Derek Falvey and Thad Levine up at night is do we make a trade, trade a prospect who could help us in the next year or two to try and make a run this year, but then run the risk of that other team getting a, a cheap, very good player for six years. I think that's a big conversation piece that people maybe aren't willing to think about because it's easy for them not having to make those decisions. You know, it's easy for us or fans to say, trade a prospect, trade a prospect. Well, if you have a prospect you really like and they're in your top whatever prospects, you're looking at them as a part of the future and a part of the future cheaply when you're starting to have to pay guys, like when Max Kepler's deal gets more expensive, Jorge Polanco, you know, the expectation that Byron Buxton will be eventually paid fairly well. Um, All those are layers when it comes to these things and what they have to consider over the next month or so. Yeah, I mean, we, we've said this before, but I think um, they seem to be striking a balance between Romero, and it may be worth pausing on him for a second just because obviously he brought up his name because he seems to have stuff. It, you know, certainly a lot of, uh, you know, lost down fastball, but um, 
they seem to be balancing trying to work those guys in while not completely giving up on the idea that as much as like a Ryan Harper or Mike Morin might not be a long-term solution in the bullpen, that system, for lack of a better word, kind of the the idea that you can go and get the, the McGill's of the world, the, you know, the, these guys who maybe are undervalued by, by their teams relatively cheap, so there's, there's not a lot of risk if they, they don't work out, and, and a little bit older, so they're not, you know, maybe as, you know, uh, deer in the headlights, you know, when they go and they, you know, they see the third deck and the, and the bright lights and the expectations of a, of a you know, playoff on team. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I guess in my mind, I, I kind of like what they're doing there as much as this calculus is going to be tough for them, figuring out how to deal with all these really long games. Um, there's some positive signs in terms of the, the source of which they're kind of looking for depth and, and, uh, and, you know, something that should be sustainable going forward. Well, and that's where fans get frustrated, too, is if you give up on a guy and he becomes good somewhere else, well, you don't have unlimited time to develop them. You know, Liam Hendricks pitching well and probably going to be getting some saves in Oakland now with Blake Trinenhurt or Trinenhurt is that, you know, that was five years ago that Hendricks was a twin. So much has happened between now and then. It was the same with Pat Neshek when he got to the All-Star game with the A's as well. Um you know, sometimes you just have to be in the right place at the right time with these guys in their evolution. And certainly something to there's something to be said about that guy developing on your watch because you help him get there. But I don't think anybody thought Liam Hendricks was going to be throwing 98 miles an hour when he was spinning 92-mile-an-hour fastballs as a starter and looking for his first win as a twin five years ago. No, for sure. And I, I think, it. you know, people will, because we focus on the bullpen here, people will think of the bullpen names. But I also... People are going to get frustrated when, you know, Perez take a step backward. I, you know, a couple starts there, he was starting to look like he was regressing. And, in, in uh, you know, anytime Odorizzi has a, a short start, people will go, oh, he's, he's back to, you know, what, what he was or whatever. It's a good reminder that, you know, you may lose a couple of these guys. I, to be honest with you, I didn't see this happening with Liam Hendricks. It, it's probably a combination of good coaching and, and from him, we know how mental baseball is. Mm-hmm. Um, he just seems like he probably adapted the right mentality to succeed in the big league. And, um, uh, you know, on the flip side, if you lose a couple of those guys, but a McGill works out for you, uh, a Harper works out for you, uh, you know, certainly President Odorizzi in, in higher stakes um, as, as starters, I think you can have more forgiveness for, look, like, Calvin Levine may have all the numbers. I think they're pretty smart guys. I think they're, you know, this whole season has uh, validated kind of the team's change in direction going to these guys. Um, but, I, you know, you just hope that unlike the Terry Ryden regime, especially the second stint, the end of that, you know, you, you look down the list and you're like, man, there's like a whole team full of these ex-twins that are, are killing it. What are they doing, you know, outside of Minnesota? Well, if you had replaced them in some capacity with someone else who another team had given up on, I think there can be more forgiveness for that, uh, you know, perhaps that player who, who shines, you know, with the change of scenery. Yeah, there's no question about that. Uh, the lead is down to eight games. Obviously, single digits, still almost 10 games, and they were above 10 games for a while. Any level of concern for you about that? You know, it's funny. Uh, I was talking to Chris from Cleveland. I was actually going to go up and uh, hang out with him a little bit, and then he had an all-important 
softball game. And just so people know, and I know we haven't had Chris on in a while, but he's been on in uh, a Midwest thing in the past, obviously foremost expert in uh, Cleveland Indians baseball. Mm-hmm. He's kind of a Terrence Gore type, kind of uh, a Billy Hamilton. Oh. You know, he's a, he's a quick guy, yeah, impact player with his feet, swing the bat a little bit. Um, but I was chatting with him, and he goes, you know, dude, I think – I think the tribe's coming back, and granted, this guy has optimism, you know, uh, boiling over at all times with Cleveland sports, which, you know, anyone here can can imagine can be tough. Uh, But, you know, he's like, the tribe's coming back, baby. He's like, wait until the end of the season. I'm a little more skeptical, but I think I liked what I heard. I think it was Thad Levine had some quotes about how he's like, look, we're not going to dismiss them. They're still, and we knew this when, when, you know, the Twins went into Cleveland, like, in some ways, they're still the king. They're still the team that has dominated the Central. That was very close to, you know, winning the World Series. And, yes, it's, it's unfortunate they've kind of started dismantling the team maybe a little bit early. Still some good pitchers there. Team that will get healthier. Still some impact players, uh, position players. So I wouldn't outright dismiss them. I think the problem is, especially when the teams, the Twins, I mean, have been so bad for so long and mediocre in the season that they were kind of quote-unquote good, um, there's always going to be kind of a healthy skepticism around this team. I'm not ready to say, look, Cleveland's coming back and, you know, taking the central. I just, I like hearing that from management that, like, they're not only thinking about the Astros and the Yankees. They're thinking, hey, you know, how, how uh, you know, how do we make sure that Cleveland doesn't get close enough that, you know, I think they'd like to keep them at a distance where maybe they start selling out parts as they kind of already are dismantling the team. Yeah, well, and I think what's important to note is that I think Cleveland's gone 16-7 and seven this month. They're second, I think, in the AL and OPS this month. They've had to go on quite a run that was atypical of how they played in the previous two months. So that's why to me, it's like for all the progress that they've made, they've still only pared it down to eight games. That's still a very, very big gap to, to try cut through in the last three months of the season. I'm not saying it can't happen. I'm not saying it won't happen, but I still think the odds are very, very strongly on the twin side. And, and Cleveland has had to play, maybe I shouldn't say above their heads, but well above the pace that they've played at prior to June to even get down to single digits. And so I, when I look at the two teams, I just see a Twins team with more balance. And I mean, I know that, that Cleveland has pitched really well. I think they're second in the AL and ERA, and I want to say like first in bullpen ERA. But that's only gotten them to eight games over 500 and eight games out of the division. To me, that's not enough to really strike fear in the hearts of the Twins. No, and I, you know, I think that it's always good. And this could be with records and what you're, you know, you identified here as a hot streak. It's a good thing after a tough loss, let's say this one against Tampa Bay or, you know, a couple of the, the, you know, where they've got just, you know, the twins look like the old twins in a couple of these games. Um, it's good to kind of step back, take a look at the standings, put this in perspective. And I, I think you did that well. I, you know, it's just funny. It's such a rapid mental change and what I'd say is this team has done a good job with injuries to key players uh, and this is not the first time obviously they've run into it but it's, it's starting to be bigger and bigger names that are out mm-hmm. um, they've done a good job with fatigue and just having been in the clubhouse a little bit you know obviously in Kansas City and then I'll see him again here on the south side every indication and I'm sure you can speak to this too having been to Target Field recently 
is that they haven't changed. I mean, this is just, you know, they're a very, like, I've heard a lot of players describe it as kind of chill clubhouse. They're not overly confident. Uh, they're certainly not, like, in, in autopilot by any means. Um, and they're not panicking when things don't go their way. Um, and I, I think, to me, and I, I wrote about this in Kansas City, it's difficult to describe because so much of baseball is tangible and can be calculated in numbers. And this is one of those things that's not really congruent with the way kind of people think about baseball. But I think it's important to keep in mind, I think as soon as I start to see uncertainty from the players, that's when you kind of ring the alarm ball a little bit and say, look, someone's got to change with this team. Someone's got to speak up, whether it's Rocco, whether it's one of the veterans, maybe even an impact player like Byron Buxton, you know, and kind of right in the ship. But I haven't seen a change in mentality. And I think as long as they maintain that mentality and don't have just a complete rash injuries, I mean, they're starting to kind of fill up, obviously. But, uh, you know, as long as there isn't another kind of wave of injuries here, I'm with you. I see them maintaining that lead over Cleveland. Yeah, the, the outfield of Arias and Cave and Astadio was a sight to behold the other night. Um, <laughs> injuries are mounting, though. Adrianza, Astadio, Buxton, Marwan Gonzalez, Eddie Rosario, even Max Kepler missed a uh, better part of a game and a half. Um, I guess it's just, I think it goes to show that the 40-man depth is is pretty good to the fact that they've been able to kind of tread water. And I think that, you know, the some of these guys that would have been forced into action four or five years ago, like especially starting pitchers and rotation guys, um, I think that goes to show that the that Falvey and Levine have built a pretty good 40-man roster of guys they can shuttle back and forth, you know, where instead of starting Jake Cave every day, he's an option at AAA or Williams Estadio can be sent out if he's not playing well, or especially, you know, Luis Arias is the one that kind of comes to mind. They've done a nice job of shuttling guys in and out and uh, getting production out of guys maybe we didn't expect coming out of spring training. Yeah, it's, it's worth noting, uh, you know, we just talked about Cleveland and, and kind of the message that would send to players that, like, look, Brantley's not here and, and some of these stars, you know, are either gone or on their way out. I think that sends a message to the team, no matter how competitive those guys are, that, like, look, either you're going to be part of this Cleveland team that's going to probably take a little dip, or you're probably going to be part of another organization soon, to be honest. I think what Salvin Levine did is not only from just a technical standpoint of, like, let's add some depth here just in case there's some injuries and slumps, uh, some variability from young players, it's that, uh, you know, they showed that they are willing to win or, or, or kind of want to win now. And I think it's – so it's not only just, like, let's take some pressure off of Buxton or, you know, Sano, who, who uh, that's another, like, whole story there because mm-hmm. he's probably not, like, as bad as he looks, but he also, like, there's some troubling signs, obviously, with how much they're striking out. You know, the team's fine if Sano's not carrying them. And, uh, but it's also just a full-fledged endorsement that, like, look, we're putting guys around here who – who have won before, and uh, we're creating depth because we want to keep the train going. We, we expect this team to win. So, I mean, th- there's just so many positives with what going and getting Scope and Cruz and Crone and, and, you know, Gonzalez is, you know, hurt, but, like, uh, going and getting those guys did just for the mentality of the club. How, how close are you to sending Miguel Sano to AAA if it's, if it's your decision? I, I mean, the, the, the way I see it is that Gonzalez is there, it becomes harder on a winning team to go, 
I, I know Gonzalez is only around for one more year, but like to go, look, we're going to take him out occasionally and like kind of let Sano flounder. It, it, it's such a weird situation where the narrative for him, and I'm not talking throughout his career, people are going to bring up the Glimmer Twins and all the hype around him and just like how he started so well is, you know, has already been an all-star, uh, you know, already kind of selling jerseys and stuff. People are going to talk about those narratives. I'm saying just this year of like, he's in the best shape of his life. He's taking it seriously now. He's not going to be overweight. He's not playing out of position in the outfield, all that stuff. Um, to, you know, he's hurt. And this was during a celebration and, and all these different kind of off the field things that, that kind of cropped up. And then, like, the excitement of being back and now the, all the strikeouts. I mean, I kind of wonder if he should just go down. It should. It probably will be technical in some standpoint. I don't see it being, like, the overhaul that he had last year. But just maybe to feel good. I mean, I, I could be wrong, but he was tearing it up for obvious reasons. They should. But, like, in, in AAA. And maybe, maybe it's just good for him to kind of have a – for his mentality – that, you know, no matter how many home runs he hits, how many monster shots there are, if you see these strikeouts rack up, either there's something you got to adjust kind of in its swing, there may be something mechanically, but it may just be, look, you got to clear your head and remember, you know, you were an all-star not long ago and uh, still young, and if you take a little different approach at the plate, have a little different mentality out there, you'll get re- better results. Could you see sending him out instead of a rise when Adrianza returns, which might even be today? Yeah, I mean, it's funny. It seems like they're very willing to have a very flexible roster. I think that's something that Rocco's talked about and Ryan's playing. I also think, you know, he's probably the opposite. I don't think Snow's been a guy dragging him down. I think guys on the team probably just feel for him. He's a teammate. He's a guy who's pretty well liked in the locker room. Uh, with Arias, hey, he's been successful. I mean, I, to be honest, when they brought him up, I was kind of like, I guess I thought he was in the mix. I didn't kind of expect this. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think he... I mean, someone in your mailbag, was it Altuve? Someone was like, <laughs> yeah. up like a crazy cop for him. I was like, Listen, uh, that's slow down. way overboard. But yeah. like, he, he's bringing the excitement, both to the teammates and people on the field. So I think given his utility as a defensive player and, and the fact that he produces offensively and has, you know, right out of the shoot, I see a lot of sense in keeping him around. I think it's going to be interesting to see how they use Lamont Wade, too. Maybe he'll get his big league debut out of the way tonight. Um, you know, they're obviously short on outfielders. He did not play in the marathon game on, uh, I want to say Sunday, but it was Wednesday or fr- Thursday. Um, t- tough getaway day, by the way. Uh, Lamont Wade's going to be interesting because he could probably hit at the top of the order. He's not maybe as contact oriented as a rise, but is a, an on base guy. He kind of reminds me of a, a younger Robbie Grossman, which I'm sure a lot of people won't be too excited about, but I think he's a better defender. But I wonder if you're going to get to see him at all in Chicago before they have to send him back when either Rosario's back or, or whatever else happens. Yeah, I mean, I think he's been an interesting prospect. I think he's one of those guys you're only going to know about if you, like, you know, are really into the Twins prospect. Mm-hmm. But, uh, um, you know, I don't know. I mean, I like the idea, unless, unless he's really just there kind of as, like, really an emergency I just like the idea of kind of shaking it up. I think there's a different feeling in the clubhouse when, like, all those guys obviously went through their debut and they, they know kind of the excitement and maybe some of the anxiety around, you know, first impressions in the major league. And uh, 
you know, I don't know. I don't, again, I don't, I don't know because I wasn't there with uh, with the 18 inning game. But after how tired those guys are, um, and all this going back on the road after that short trip, um, there may be just the need of a kind of pick me up, and you know, maybe we can provide that. I, selfishly, I obviously wanted to make a debut. I kind of want to see what impact he can make, and uh, just you know what they have in a guy whose name's been been around there for a little bit. Yeah, I think it's always fun to see guys get their big league debuts out of the way too, especially when it's someone you don't expect to see, um, you know, barring three injuries to outfielders in the span of about three days. So, or maybe a five, five days. But, uh, yeah, it'll be good to see him get out there. Hopefully he can get a little playing time before they end up sending him back. Uh, big news in the last day or so, Jorge Polanco named it to the starting lineup of the American League All-Star team. Um I have to be honest with you. I'm surprised he beat out Gleyber Torres and Xander Bogarts. Yeah, I mean, I'm glad. I think yeah, yeah. that's, you know, one of those things you always hear in Minnesota is, is well, look, I, again, I think they were mischaracterized as a small market team. I still see that every once in a while. I, I'd argue that we're mid-market, and some of that was the perception put on by, you know, to be honest, Carl Polad and some of that, but I think uh, it's also hard to feel like you're kind of like anything but a small market team that's playing in a football stadium that wasn't a great place for baseball, but um, you do worry that, you know, given how much of baseball fandom, uh, whether that's people who are just kind of generally fans of the game, love, you know, watching some of these big market teams play, or the fact that, you know, even if you're fans of a, a smaller market team, if you want to watch baseball in an off day, you're more, you're more probably inclined to watch the bigger market teams because they tend to be better. Um, but whatever it is, obviously there's a national focus on those two names. And I think for Blanco to beat them out, to make a name for himself, and kind of to celebrate what he's done with the Twins here uh, is a great thing. I think he's totally deserving. Uh, I, I What he's done with the bat itself is just incredible. Uh, given that, you know, you expect a lot of him because I think his first call up was 21. He had a lot of those, like, short stints where it seemed like, if anything, they were just kind of trying to get him used to being in the big league clubhouse. Mm-hmm. But given that he just signed the contract, and, and granted it wasn't, you know, a blockbuster deal, but there's some pressure, you know, when you first sign. And given he's coming off a year where I think maybe people soured on, on him a bit just because he only signed for 80 games because of suspension. Um, I think this all adds up to something where he, he's been a big part of what the Twins are doing. Um, it seems like he's holding his own defensively, and I think he's just to be a fun player to watch uh, and for you know to kind of be on baseball fans' radar because almost every game he gives you something that kind of you're like, damn man, that guy's that guy's a player. He's the first starting shortstop in the All Star game for the Twins since Roy Smalley in 1979, and the first starting anything for the Twins since Joe Maurer in 2013. That's a that's a pretty big acknowledgement, a pretty big honor, I would have to say. Yeah, I mean, the two thoughts I have with that, and it's specific to those two players, is that obviously both very relevant. Maurer just had his number retired, and uh, Smalley's obviously in the booth. But also there's some comps between people have always brought up 2001, but kind of the, I guess it would be the 77 twins, but like, you know, the, the team, between the team where they got it back going through, and then obviously, uh, you know, Smalley rewarded for being one of the best players at the time, you know, in, in 79. Uh, and with Maurer, it's just like, such a reminder that like a he was such a star player on some really bad teams for two years there but also that was the unfortunate drop I think right before the all-star game was in Minneapolis which kind of should have been a celebration of Maurer Mm -hmm. and unfortunately this is obviously right after the concussion and right after the reality setting in that 
look for a while the two best, not two best players, but two of the best players were local guys, Glenn Perkins, Joe Bauer, and they're, you know, they're playing for these bad teams. You know, it's just like two weird periods in Twins history, and you hope that kind of the story is, if you look back and you're like, uh, you know, people are thinking about Polanco and when he really came onto the scene, you're hoping that, and, and this looks likely, that this was right as the Twins made themselves relevant again. So, I mean, there's just, again, a lot of positives around seeing him uh, you know, get that recognition that he did. Yeah, that 2014 game ended up being more of a celebration of Derek Jeter than anything else. Yeah, it was it was weird. I mean, it, again, you can't really like project those out. I can't remember how far out they like choose these locations. I think it's it two or three was years. A, it's two or three. You said. I think it's two or three years. Yeah, I mean, so so you have some control, um, but like, I, I guess the the way I saw that is like, a, it's cool that you know, one of the baseball's biggest stars was celebrated here, you know, in Minneapolis and that it was, it was a really fun, you know, event to have in the city. Um, but yeah, it was, it was just so weird. It was kind of one of those things where it really set in that like, man, the twins are in trouble and, you know, really the narrative started to, to turn on Bauer and we both agree this kind of through no fault of his own. I mean, he, he took a follow tip of the head. He had a concussion. I mean, you know, I, it just was a weird, weird time in Twins history. I'm hoping, uh, you know, this is, uh, you know, from here forward, especially with kind of some questions around who else would be an all-star for the Twins, that the narrative becomes like, hey, you know, this, this team is back. And this is the team that, you know, they probably should have had. Uh, going to Target Field as in a team of momentum that looks like, you know, they'll be competing for the Central for a while. I, I get the vibe that people are going to be disappointed with how many Twins make the All-Star team because this is a team that's more a uh, sum of its parts. Because someone asked me if it, how many Twins would be in the uh, Home Run Derby, and I thought to myself, you know what, probably none because there aren't really any standouts. It's just a bunch of guys doing well. I think that that could happen with the All-Star team too. Yeah, I mean, I was thinking about that a little bit. This tends to be a little out of my range just because, A, like, I'm a kind of person, I really value the All-Star nomination as in, I think it's a pretty good calculation of, like, how good you were, how many times you went to the game, and in how many years. Mm-hmm. Um, I also think it's a fun acknowledgement in down seasons of, like, a, a Kadire or, like, a Brandon Kitzler or something like that. You know, Kadire, longtime twin, really blood in the Twin Cities. It was nice to see him in that game. With Kinsler, it was just a cool story. Like, I think he was in the American Association a couple of years before he, he really took off with the Twins and all that. Um, so it's not something I outright dismiss by any means, but you know the league better. Um, you know, I'm focused individually. I, when I was counting through it, I, I agree. Like, I came up with a, like absurd number of six because I was like, at the time where more guys were healthy, I was like, God, there's a lot of guys who are deserving, you know, on the Twins team. A lot of guys who in a down year would for sure be in. Um, and, uh, and at the same time, I don't know how that calculation is going to work because the Twins should be acknowledged as one of the best teams in baseball. They should. I mean, even in their best years, they only got three in. I mean, if it becomes more than that, it's because, well, look at their record. And the other factor for me was, like, how many of these bottom-feeding teams, and I think there's, like, seven or something, you know, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of bad AL teams. How many of them get more than one all-star? I mean, it, you know, we saw with Twins teams in the lean years, only give me one or two because that's what they deserve. They're not very good, and there's only a certain amount of players who really, you know, deserve to be recognized in the All-Star game. Well, and if Kansas City gets one, it's probably going to be Hunter Dozier. If they get two, it'll be Whit Merrifield as well. 
But if they get two, that's one less that the Twins could possibly get. And every team has to be represented. And it's not that huge of a roster. So, I mean, it wouldn't shock me if it was Jorge Polanco, Max Kepler, and maybe that's it. Or maybe Jose Barrios just because of his you know name value. But honestly, I, I don't know that it's going to be four or five guys like most people are expecting. And I, everybody's talking about the guys that were on the, the final All-Star ballot, the, the second round. But it wouldn't stun me if none of those guys made it, whether Ed Rosario, CJ Crone, or Nelson Cruz all were sitting at home come Midsummer Classic. It, it's going to be weird when they announce the rosters. I think that's on Sunday. But I think Twins fans are going to be uh, torch and pitchfork nation because it's going to be fewer players than they expect. Yeah, I mean, that, that's the thought I have. It doesn't help that they have some injuries. Um, you know, it doesn't help that, I shouldn't say it doesn't help because it's a positive, but as you alluded to, there, there are some of their parts. Um, I don't know how much, like, name value will carry. You said, you know, a, a Burrios or, a, you know, Boston looks maybe outside, obviously, with his, his, his injury. Um, and certainly you don't, like, rush him back just to get him in the All-Star game. That's yeah. thought thinking. But, uh, you know, you, you mentioned Kepler. I think there's some – there's got to be some, some momentum going that way, especially with kind of him delivering the clutch and, and all that. I also think it's just a cool story given that German-born, they're trying to expand the, the game, um, you know, all that stuff. I, I think they're playing a couple games in London and stuff. I mean, they, you know, uh, I think – it's a fun narrative for baseball as a whole, even if you, you don't really care about the the twins. Um, but yeah, we're like a guy like Taylor Rogers can get lost in the wash a little bit just because the bullpen isn't like a defining feature of the team. But to me, he's been lights out. I mean, I, I think he's a, he's a star player. Um, yeah. I, I'm very curious kind of the direction they go. And I think it's just not going to be very satisfying, not because people really support any of those guys that make the all-star team, but because, in a positive way, people are going to be partial to a whole bunch of different players, um, and yet certain segments of the fan base are going to be really upset when they don't see their guy in there. The Rosario buzz is still just so strange to me. I mean, I know he's having a, a, a fairly good season, but they're touting him like he's a superstar, and it's like, you know, he was really cold. I want to say in June he's, he's hit maybe one or two home runs. I mean, it just seems strange to me that he's getting such buzz when Byron Buxton and Max Kepler were both having better seasons than him. Yeah, I, I'm glad you brought that up. I think, you know, I've been very pro Rosario, but it's that it's a reaction. It's like a personal reaction to um, me being like kind of pump the brakes on Eddie Rosario before this season. And my only hesitation was was not about him as a person. I think he's a great personality in that clubhouse. I don't think he worries about any of the super teams in the league. I think, you know, I think he's a guy that really likes to play in high-stakes games and all that. Um, it's certainly not offensively because as much as he was very undisciplined, you know, at the plate, he seemed to kind of make it work. And and when he's going, he's, he's obviously an impact player. It was, he was off, you know, he's often taking adventures in the outfield. And that's just, you know, it's not a good look and it's, it's not very productive. And then there'd be times the ball is, being thrown in the infield and you kind of look at the diamond and you're like what are you doing man you're like you're kind of in the middle of nowhere like what was your plan here mm-hmm. and and I've seen him round out that part of his game and I think the initial hype having seen him uh receive votes is that a he's just an incredibly exciting player and that's you know who you want uh representing the twins in an all-star game but also that he's rounded out his game having said that I I mean I agree with you I think 
you know, Buxton being hurt doesn't help his cause. But until he got to that point, he was performing offensively. And to dismiss him is to dismiss defense. He's such a phenomenal defensive player. And, again, I, I've said my piece about Kepler. I think he's a really good player, and I just think it's a good image for baseball to say, like, look, here's a German-born player. This is not a guy born in Berlin and then moved to Florida when he was five or something like that. You know, he came up playing there and, uh, and you know, really became a star. So, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, Rosario's, Rosario remains just – one of the most fascinating players to be, you know, on the Twins roster, to be honest. What are you most looking forward to in this upcoming White Sox series? Um, I mean, we talked about the debut. I'm very interested, obviously, having covered the Kansas City series following that big 17-inning game and just seeing how the team dealt with adversity, dealt with fatigue, all that stuff. It'll be interesting to me to compare both you know, both trips, because these are both obviously on the road against, you know, AL Central opponents, should be winnable games, and yet, you know, with Kansas City, I kind of wrote this, like, hey, Kansas City's played them really tough this year. This isn't, you know, they haven't been afraid of the Twins, even though the Twins should be supposedly much, much better um, than the Royals. And, you know, with Chicago, I feel like the White Sox and their fans are always going to get up for this series. You know, that's just the nature of a rivalry. Um, And I'm sure for some of their players, this is a way to kind of make a name for yourself. Like, let's go, you know, go three for four against the Twins or shut them down or whatever. So uh, if you're a pitcher. So I just want to kind of compare and contrast the two series, given like the similarities that have cropped up. Uh, you know, in the week that's transpired here. Yeah, I think it'll be interesting to see just how legit the White Sox are because uh, every now and then you'll see something pop up about them, whether they should buy or sell at the deadline as a potential second wild card team. I mean, they're not they're not in the thick of things in the AL Central. Frankly, nobody is outside of the Twins. Uh, White Sox 14 games out, but only four games under 500. And if you look at the wild card, six and a half out. So they still have a pulse. I mean, it's not... Uh, like something you're going to go to Vegas and bet on and get good odds. Uh, maybe it's like the St. Louis Blues, though. So I don't know. But um, <laughs> uh, I'll be interested to see just how legit they look against the Twins. And it still won't be that great of a measuring stick, though, because the Twins aren't 100% healthy. Still don't know who's going to start tonight for the White Sox. we got Barrios going for the Twins. Then it's Pineda versus Nova. And then Gibson and Giolito to wrap it up. Um, Got to think that those pitching matchups favor the Twins. I like Lucas Giolito quite a bit, but um, you know he and Gibson are having both fairly good seasons. I, I don't know what the holdup is on declaring a starting pitcher for tonight, but um, I think those pitching matchups definitely favor the Twins. Ivan Nova is having a really rough year. Yeah, I let me take a step back here because I think you bring up a good point that this is not going to be you know like they walk in there hit you know <laughs> score twenty one runs or something like that. And, you know, waltz on out. We know this is going to be a little bit of a struggle because of their depth issues with injuries. We talked about hostile environments, stuff with the White Sox. But the Central is more interesting than I thought it would be. And I, I guess maybe this is because they're in the thick of it, because this narrative, narrative emerged that, like, hey, look, they've, you know, they've already played the Astros, you know, for this year or whatever. And they're going to have all these Central games. But each Central team, and I think this is kind of fun, has its own narrative for the Twins, right? With the Indians, we just said, they're going to, you know, they were the team to beat, or I guess maybe still are in the Central uh, until they're no longer reigning champs. You have, you know, Guardy with the Tigers, and I know that team's falling apart a little bit, but, like, you got to think Guardy gets up for those, and, and the, the players will for him. 
the White Sox is always a rivalry, and you know they they're kind of. I've always compared them to kind of Kansas City before they really took off. Like they seem to be just loaded with prospects and just kind of waiting for all these guys to to become major league players. Um, and we just saw Kansas City who's played them tough. I mean, again, I'm not I'm not pushing back super hard on the narrative that like they should be running through the AL Central and, and gathering wins here and, and you know trying to get the best position possible to play out to make sure that Cleveland doesn't somehow creep up on them, but. In your mind, like, are these central games a little more interesting, especially if this twin team's going to take a while to kind of get back to full strength with all these injuries and just general fatigue and all that? Yeah, I think it's a good time for the Twins to be playing that part of their schedule where they're not going to be super tested, but it's not games they can just roll over and win. We saw that last year especially. I mean, Kansas City gave them fits early in the year, and Kansas City was probably just as bad last year as they are this year. And even still, they're kind of a thorn in their side. So it, it reminds me a little bit of like the old NFC Central black and blue division where, you, you know, you, you expect them to just kind of beat up on each other rather than have anybody blow anybody else out. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I, you know, I don't know. I think it, I think it's a positive thing for the Twins. We're fully, I know there's going to be some focus on football as, as that ramps up, but a good Twins team will keep people engaged all year round with, with baseball, but, you know, especially in the dead of the summer, it's nice to kind of have these, these minor narratives. If, if you didn't have that, um, I think the Twins would have, like, a weird problem where people may kind of, like, check out for a bit until you get close to the playoffs just because you're like, well, it's fun to watch all these home runs because these are been super long games that aren't very competitive. And in the case where, like, there's a comeback, it's probably the other team in a really disappointing way for Twins fans, uh, you know, making a game interesting that, that shouldn't be. So, I don't, in some ways, you don't want to see players get hurt. Hopefully there's no more, like, 12-plus inning games or whatever, yeah. and, and, you know, you hope the fatigue wears off. But um, generally speaking, I guess the one upside, the way to look at this positively is you're going to have some interesting games coming up just because the Twins – you know, through no fault of their own, they're just trying to win baseball games and hit a couple bumps in the road, and it makes games that otherwise probably wouldn't be that competitive a little more interesting. So a couple twins named to the future game roster that came out today, Jordan Balazovich, right-handed pitcher, and shortstop Royce Lewis. Um, Lewis not having the greatest season, Balazovich has actually put himself on the radar. I think he's the number 100 prospect on I can't remember if it's MLB Pipelines list or if it's Baseball America, but definitely a guy who's popped up. Keith Law was all over him beforehand, but uh, not terribly surprising that those two guys will represent the Twins in Cleveland at the Futures game here in the next week or so, wouldn't you say? Yeah, I mean, with Bryce Lewis, um, you know, this is one of those things where, like, I feel like people should pay attention to the minor leagues because it tells you a, a story about the organization as a whole. Mm-hmm. And, like, how well have they drafted, how well they do they develop players, um, you know, like just kind of where are these guys that you kind of focused on when they got drafted and then, you know, maybe forgot about, obviously, you know, with the, all the twins of everyday sport or whatever. Uh, I'm not one to overreact to this. I think it's a reminder that even for star, star, star players, and I think Lewis is in that category, he, he certainly has showed that up until this year. Um, even at the low levels, you're gonna you're gonna hit a hiccup or two. I, mm-hmm. I mean, it's disappointing seeing a couple, you know, a couple of games he's had where it looks like strikeouts amount that he's really not impacting the team with the bat. But then occasionally he has a game where you're like, well, here's Lewis coming in the clutch or 
you know, go for two for three in a game that was close or something like that. I mean, I'm not super worried about him. Uh, I like the exposure that I don't get. I just think also it's another reminder that, you know, this is a guy who seems to have uh, kind of the mentality and, and, and uh, a lot of character traits of a leader, you know, really like kind of uplifting guy. And, and, you know, I think we'll see more exposure there. Salazar, I, um, <laughs> it's funny, like, that, that's such weird news. Uh, it's good to see him uh, get recognized. Uh, it's also, like, you kind of, like, it, it's, it's evidence of the depth of their organization. Right. That when one guy graduates, here's a guy from the Twins filling in who's not one of those, you know, monster prospects they have. So I guess that's the, you know, it's an opportunity to learn a little bit more about him, uh, give him the recognition he deserves, and maybe as an organization as a whole, just a reminder, like, Look, they got guys, they got depth there. This isn't just like three guys carrying them. It's it's a uh, it's an organization full of players who, you know, a couple of these guys will probably come up and make an impact in the future. So the last thing we'll do before we let you go, uh, trade targets obviously coming up again last week or in the last week, as I did my uh, my mailbag again. Got to do a we're not worthy to to Justin for bringing up the name of Will Smith, which apparently is the name the Twins are more focused on. If you believe Jeff Passan of ESPN. But I did have a few people ask, and so some of the names that popped up for me, of course, Will Smith. That, to me, is the high end of who they would target because I think he's a rental, and so the price won't be insane. You know, people might want Felipe Vasquez of the Pirates, but he's signed through, like, 2022 with options and all that, and I just I can't see them extending their trade budget uh, in terms of giving up big-time prospects for that, for a guy who's got that much control who could, you know, get hurt or whatever. I just don't see them shopping at the absolute top of the market. Whereas I think, you know, they can maybe aim a little lower for someone who might be on the upswing. What do you think of that as a, a process? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm with you on that. I, a guy with that much control probably, I, you know, I can't, you're just talking about how deep the farm system is, but that'll go away pretty quickly if you, if yeah. you pull off like two big trades. Um, I'm with you on that thought process. I think, um, you want a reliever trending well for obvious reasons. They're, they're so uh, different year to year. But, um, yeah, I, I just think, given that they probably just need numbers. Now, I say this, like, kind of knock on wood that you don't have a couple injuries in the bullpen because that changed that narrative really, really quickly. But given that you really just kind of need numbers and just capable guys who can get out, and given that with these longer games, we've seen guys kind of pull themselves out of jams. Um, and, and maybe that's a good experience that they can kind of catapult off of. Um, I'm with you. I'd rather see them actually get numbers, not give up a whole ton out of the farm system, um, than kind of go for one guy. I really don't think they're in the in the position where um, they're just a piece away. And we just know the flaw with that thinking. I, I don't want to bring up the cap deal for like literally the millionth time, but um, we just know that, you know, you can give up too much for relief pitching. And I'd rather take a, them take a stab at a couple guys, um, you know, rather than rather than ship a whole guy, bunch of guys over. And then, you know, we look back and go, you know, oh, my God, they, you know, this guy ended up blowing out his arm or wasn't as good as, as Twins thought. And two of those guys now are impact players for, you know, San Francisco or whatever team they trade to. Yeah. Uh, some of the other names I brought up, Detroit Tigers reliever Shane Green, um, in the midst of a really good season, I don't think he would cost a ton. 
I did bring up Marcus Stroman, but I think that's at the very high end of the list. Maybe Madison Bumgarner, but I'm not sure I see that either. But um, in addition, I did have, let's see here. Uh, one reliever that I talked about was Michael Givens as well. Having a tough season for Baltimore, but I think that they would want to buy low on a guy like that and hope that he has an upswing. He's been very, very good for the Orioles for the last four or five years. I just, I see them buying low like they did on Blake Parker with the hopes that they can make one tweak or something that would get a guy back to where he was or just hope that by regression, just sheer regression, he's got better days coming. Um, the Ian Kennedy makes sense from Kansas City. He'd have to have a lot of money kicked in. And then pretty much anybody from San Francisco, Trevor Gott, Sam Dyson, a handful of other guys that they have there, um, Tony Watson. San Francisco's got a pretty good bullpen and a pretty bad team. So I think reliever, to me, is going to be the way they go at the trade deadline. Everything else is going to be secondary. I t- totally agree. I think I think they're targeting relievers. You maybe go one with a project or you know, betting on upside, maybe another one. You know, again, maybe not the highest guy in the market, but like a a more sure sure thing. And, and I mean, just a reminder, everyone out there. I mean, it, it's different with the strongman. I mean, maybe you overpay for that because he's a pretty well-known commodity. Mm-hmm. Um, but but with relievers, I mean, shopping at the high end there can be a little bit of a fool there. And I, I I think I think it's more like the certainty has to be that they can pitch in the major leagues. I know that's like a like. That should be obvious, but um, I think it's more just like, is this guy, you know, can he be used as high leverage? Um, and, and, you know, is there a track record? Is it not just a one-year wonder? Um, but to me, it's more, again, I think it's more creating depth. There, I, I get what's going on there that they kind of have to, um, they got to, you know, they're banking on these guys' arms, you know, saying the Rodgers and Mays and whatnot, the Parkers of the world uh, holding up. But, I mean, in my mind, you also have to think a little bit. They're at the front end of the competitive curve, not the back end. If they were, if this is at the tail end of five winning seasons, I was like, you know what, maybe, uh, you know, as long as these aren't guys who are immediately going to make an impact, you, you make a push. Um, just knowing that this thing's probably going to fall apart soon. In this case, I'd say, like, keep, keep people in the farm system knowing that almost every year, going forward, you're probably going to have to make you know, a trade for a reliever at the deadline and uh, just keep some ammunition uh, as opposed to pretending you're all in there. Yeah, I think they want to get someone who can help Taylor Rogers rather than replace him as closer or or whatever. Just, just fortify their stable back there. Um, well, hey, travel safe the rest of the way to Chicago and we'll see you in studio next week. How does that sound? Yeah, I think I'm done doing podcasts in my car. We'll, uh, we'll be in studio next week. All right. Well, that's all we got for this week's episode. So for Tom on the road, producer Justin, this is Brandon Warren saying thanks for checking us out. Tune in next time for an all new edition of Midwest Swing, part of the Zone Coverage Podcast Network. Rock over London. Rock on Chicago. 